The following presentation was recorded at a Faith Builders Colloquy. More information on Faith Builders events at fbep.org. Greetings in Jesus, crucified, risen, and coming. Man's stewardship of God's heritage. If you were to ask ten people in Guy's Mills, is there ten people in Guy's Mills? Let's let's go to Meadville at random and ask these ten people, uh, what is man's stewardship of God's heritage? Wonder what they'd say. Well, it's quite a mouthful, quite a responsibility. Gain some insight in this, I'd like to refer to Psalm 127, where the phrase heritage of the Lord is used. Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. A heritage is a gift an inheritance, or a reward, as it mentions in the latter part of verse 3. My wife and I have a fourfold inheritance from the Lord. Man's stewardship has reference to a sacred trust given for the management of children, of a home, and Brother John has given us some excellent instruction from the scriptures. Stewardship is a management accountable to a superior. And so these terms, stewardship, God's heritage, imply that children are of great value. You don't entrust someone to, uh, to watch over some worthless stuff, nor do you consider... Uh, junk to be a heritage. You wouldn't say in your annual Christmas letter, uh, in July we inherited um, Grandpa's toothbrush. Socrates had it right when he said to fathers, could I climb to the highest place in Athens? I would lift up my voice and proclaim, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth? And take so little care of your children to whom one day you must relinquish it all. The Mennonite church has failed to heed the words of a man born 500 years ago in his evaluation of the most important thing. It is the greatest and foremost care of the pious that their children fear God, do righteously, and be eternally saved. By the way, who was that? Man of Silence, correct. Now this topic is addressed to parents primarily. How do the responsibilities and goals of parents fit into a conference on education? Well, I think very appropriately. According to Rabbi Castle Abelson, the Hebrew word for parents is horem, and it comes from the same root as mora, teacher. 
The parent is and remains the first and most important teacher that the child will ever have. Now, a basic responsibility is to view children as a blessing, a gift, a heritage. This applies to parents, it applies to teachers and those who relate to children. Is this a popular viewpoint in society? that children are a blessing. Let's take an imaginary poll. Children? No thanks, they're a nuisance. They would interfere with my social life, my work, my travel. Can you imagine taking a suitcase of Pampers to the Bahamas? I think I'd like them okay, but they're so terribly expensive. I remember 20 years ago in an article, to have a child or not, that's a $64,000 question. Now I suppose it's over 100000 from cradle through college. Brats, that's what they are. They say there's been more abortions in U.S. in the past 20 years than there are people in Canada. I can understand why, the way some kids act. Children? Oh yes, I'd like one or two, but I don't want any until I'm 30 or 35 and have established myself in my career. A blessing? Oh yes, at least at income tax time. In my country, children are like what you call it, uh, pension. Take care of you when get old. Oh, I like them when they're cute and cuddly, but I think I'd leave them and my husband when they're teenagers. Children? No thanks. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had two abortions. Yes, I like kids, as long as I can get in on government-subsidized daycare. No way. Remember that survey in Lander's head? If they had to do it over, would they have had children? 70% said no, I'd be with the majority. My husband and I are childless. How we wish we could have one of those unwanted children. Adoption lists are so long. Children, no thanks. I prefer pets. Did you hear about the four-year-old girl dragged from a crib by a hundred-pound dog called Byron and who killed the child? Authorities asked permission to destroy the dog. The mother refused, saying, I can always have another baby, but I can't replace Byron. Some people call that strange logic, but I think it makes sense. Now, in this poll, the only actually authentic one, and this comes from my wife, Barbara. I'm really glad for ours. They're a precious gift from God. Now, let's take a poll from Genesis. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. 
the Genesis generation. Let's take a poll here from the first families. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Genesis 21, verses 6 and 7. The words of Sarah. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She was so happy. Chapter 29. And verse 35. From Leah's lips and she conceived again and bare a son and she said now will I praise the Lord chapter 33 and verse 5 let's hear it from a father Genesis 33 5 and he lifted up his eyes this is Jacob and saw the women and the children and I'm sorry it was Esau who did this and said who are those with thee now Jacob says the children which God hath graciously given thy servants. And Genesis 48, verse 9. Genesis 48, verse 9. And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And Grandpa wanted to bless them. And so, the first major underlying responsibility of parents is to view them as a blessing of tremendous value and potential. A second major underlying responsibility and goal is to lead children to Christ. Let's take a lesson from the mothers of Salem who brought their children to Jesus. You can read about it in Mark 10. How... They were received by Jesus, taken in Jesus' arms, how Christ's hand was placed upon them and how he blessed them. Or we would do well to take a lesson from L and E Christian School. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 describes this school. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Our goal today for our children is that they might have unpretended faith. They would be sincere in homes and schools. After the birth of the fifth child to a father and mother, the dad said, another mouth to feed. And the mom said, another soul to save. Although parents are interested in the emotional and academic social development of their children, the most basic concern is the spiritual one. Therefore, may we as parents relate to our children in their innocency in a way that 
predisposes them to receive Christ and follow him. And then in the conversion experience, the change from a sinner to a follower of God, let's help them through prayer and through answering questions if we have opportunity. And then after they've become a Christian, let us guide and encourage them in their relationship to Christ. I would suppose that in the last couple of weeks, there are many parents in America and maybe around the world who have said, if only my son and daughter could win a gold medal in the Olympics. That's not the goal of Christian parents. Rather, the goal is that our children would win a crown of life. Having looked at two underlying basic responsibilities of parents, that of viewing children as a heritage, as a gift. Secondly, leading them to Christian experience and maturity. Both these responsibilities are implied by the scripture. Now I'd like to consider a specific command to parents and some applications to it. I suppose it would sound right to you to say, to hear, that parents should love their children. But is there any scriptural basis for that statement? If so, where would you turn in the scriptures to find it? Very good. You've got it. Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. This is addressed to mothers, but I think fathers are implied says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Parents are told to love their children. I'd like to consider some applications of our responsibility to love children. What love does, and uh, through this I hope to show both some goals and the means by which these... Uh, goals can be achieved. Now these principles will apply primarily to parents, but also there is application to teachers. So I have ten ways here that parents should love their children, drawing some lessons from how God loves us. First, in this responsibility of parents loving their children, Parents should teach their children. God is a teacher. I think it was in the book of Job that uh, one of the characters there asked the question, Who teacheth like him with reference to God? In the Old Testament, we have chapter 6, and in the New Testament, we have chapter 6 on this matter of teaching. Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is not an unfamiliar scripture to you, I don't suppose. But in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, let me remind you that uh, parents should have God's words in their own heart. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And now there is a responsibility to teach to convey these same values and truths. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, 
when thou liest down and when thou risest up and when thou drivest thy car. And we could make a lot of other applications to the 20th century. Now, Ephesians 6 is the New Testament, chapter 6. I was referring to this one addressed to fathers and ye fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The admonition there is the idea of teaching. Nurture is the idea of discipline. We'll come to that point yet too. So what are some things that parents should teach children? What are some things that educators at whatever level should teach children? We should teach the reality of God so that our children would learn to trust in God. Before a trip or on special occasions, as well as the routine occasions, we can talk to God in prayer. It's good to talk about God in spiritual matters not only on Sunday. It's good to depend on God. I remember driving along with uh, one of my children, a couple of my children a few years ago, and we uh, it was winter time and it was in Ontario and it was stormy and it was a whiteout condition and I wasn't sure if I was going to get home with them or not. And I began to pray and uh, I thought maybe I should also uh, solicit their prayers uh, on behalf of us and our safety. And so I suggested that and uh, the response came back, Daddy, I have been praying. She was probably praying before I was, as far as that goes. Giving to the Lord teaches the reality of God. Letting God be at work in your life. Saying things like, Family, um, the Lord's been convicting me of of uh, being angry yesterday. Well, that shows to the family that God is at work in your life. Family worship, of course. Teaching the reality of God through historical accounts. Family uh, items that have happened, how God has intervened and assisted in the family, as well as asking and answering questions about God. How far is it to the nearest star? Different things in nature that show the greatness and glory of God. So the children will sense the reality of God and trust him whom they cannot see. Another thing that we do well to teach our children is to teach the compassion of God so that our children would respond in love. God pities. Psalm 103 mentions that. So there are stories that we can tell our children about God and about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. We can sing songs that teach the compassion of God, the forgiveness of God. And as we ourselves are a loving, as we are loving parents, we can see God's love. Children can see God's love in providing parents. And so it is a sobering thought that, particularly for fathers, the child's picture of God is often closer related to their relationship to their father, their view of their own father. Another thing to teach is the goodness of God. God gives numerous things, and Jesus said, you don't expect a, a father to give a son a chunk of stone when he wants an egg or something like that. So we can teach the goodness of God that God gives us good things. We can be reminded of this at mealtime 
during family worship, in memory work, in songs, mentioning God's gifts to us. Grandparents can reminisce and teach children about the goodness of God so that children would be led to be thankful. Further, we should teach our children the authority of God. Brother John already has mentioned some things so that children might reverence and give obedience to God. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so there are Bible stories about God's judgment for sin. And we ourselves ought to be a consistent authority figure so that our children would revere and obey God. There are numerous other things that can be taught about God, his power and knowledge and omniscience. There are theological concepts that may well mean some refining or some refuting, such as, God doesn't love you if you're naughty. If you keep on being very good, you'll get to heaven. There are also numerous things that parents can teach their children in the area of history and geography and science and how things work, domestic matters. But my point here is that children receive love from their parents as they receive teaching, appropriate teaching from their parents. And one of the main ways of teaching is by our example. You recognize that your example counts a great deal. If you are there visiting with a certain brother or sister after church, let's say it's a sister, and you are speaking very nicely and kindly and complimentary in a complimentary way to this uh, particular sister, and a uh, little six-year-old Susie at your side is drinking it in, or at least paying some attention, and particularly since Susie heard you describing and evaluating uh, this particular sister at home in quite a different fashion. We teach by our example. In the routine of life, as indicated from Deuteronomy 6, to one's wife, the husband may say, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. In the routine of life around the table, eating habits, matters of honesty, the use of money, and of course then there is a more formal time of teaching during family worship. So, my first point here is that parents who carry out their responsibility to love their children will teach them. Secondly, in carrying out the responsibility to love children, parents, and educators for that matter, will tell the child of their love. Love will provide verbal assurance. God tells us that he loves us. In the Bible, he tells us often. The love of God is an important biblical theme. I remember my wife. I have no recollection whether I told her that she should say that she loves her children. I doubt very much that I did. I, I think it was just her natural response as a loving mother. 
But when the children were small and were bouncing on her lap, she would say, I love you. And the child would say, I love you too. And it would be a very common sort of thing. It was interesting to me to read that um, telling children you love them or in one way or another communicating them to them clearly that you love them is a, is a very healthy thing for their development. At least according to a survey from one of the Midwestern states, I think it was, Ten of the worst adjusted students were selected in a particular high school. And then another group of the ten of the best adjusted students were selected. And each of these groups, the individuals in each of these groups were asked the same question. How long has it been since your parents told you that they loved you? Of the group that were maladjusted, there was only one that could remember ever being told that by one of their parents and that individual could not remember when that was. But among the best adjusted, all ten had been assured of parental love in the previous 24 hours. I'm not sure why it would be hard for parents to tell their child, I love you, to tell them that repeatedly but yet be very quick to scold and to nag and to find fault. There's application here for grandparents as well. Grandparents are good at communicating love to grandchildren. So let's take a lesson from God who tells us that he loves us and he tells us every time we read the Bible and he assures us throughout our daily life. Let's stand and let's sing song, I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loved me. Jesus loves me. Thank you, you may be seated. Thirdly, parents who sense the responsibility to love their children will provide the necessities of life. I don't suppose this one applies to teachers uh, as far as providing clothing and food and shelter, although sometimes children forget their lunch. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. It is the nature of the loving father to provide for his children, so it is the nature of loving parents to provide for children. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If any provide not for his own, he has denied the faith. God doesn't give us everything we want. 
and nor do parents give children everything that they want. But love provides the necessities of life. A fourth thing that love will provide from parents to their children is discipline. Proverbs 13, verse 24, links these two ideas, which for many children uh, can at least initially be rather puzzling and is certainly mystifying to the bulk of psychologists in society. Proverbs 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And the book of Hebrews says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. We can understand this to some extent on a natural level, in that a child can put himself in some very dangerous and precarious positions, not just the stairs or the whatever that thing is that our brother was warning us about, but also Children may be attracted to butcher knives, to playing on the road. And so there needs to be some restraint, some direction, and some chastening for their physical well-being. How much more for their spiritual welfare? When parents sense there is clear-cut disobedience, you know, Johnny, don't go outside to play this morning and Johnny goes outside something needs to be done no you may not go to the rock festival at the sky dome teenager goes or tries to, yeah goes in this case matters requiring attention include clear-cut disobedience as well as deliberate, partial obedience. Saul and the Amalekites provide us with an illustration of partial obedience. I think we need to be reasonable here if uh, we tell one of our children to sweep the floor and we inspect the floor afterwards and find three crumbs and then, so you're going to have to be punished. It's different, uh, though, when a child is told to do the dishes and after 50% of them are done, um, they disappear to read a book or go outside to play and very sneakily uh, operate. Then there is the matter of delayed obedience. I think it's good to expect obedience the first time when a parent speaks. Sometimes helpful, I found, with our children to uh, have some fairly brief but forceful stories about the consequences of disobedience to people. won't take the time to tell some of those, but you've probably uh, observed enough things in your life to uh, know of some people that suffered from their disobedience. There can be wrong attitudes on the part of children, sullenness and pouting, backtalk, tantrums and things like that. Remember, the rod is scriptural, and love, according to this verse in Proverbs, and the tenor of scripture, love will correct. Proverbs 19 and verse 18. 
Another verse I'd like to read. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. I don't think correction needs to be restricted to actual corporal punishment. There may be verbal rebukes, withdrawal of privileges, and things like that. And yet, uh, corporal punishment, the use of the rod, is taught in the scriptures as an effective way for their physical and spiritual well-being. Love does not discipline for accidents, what a child didn't mean to do, you know, a dish broke. Love will not discipline out of anger. How can we expect a child to gain control of himself and his behavior through discipline if in the process of disciplining we ourselves are out of control? We should not correct or punish for reasons of lack of ability. Read of a four-year-old boy in a restaurant who was becoming rather unruly, unhappy, paying no attention to the reproof of his mom and dad. His father took him out to a private place and gave him some private attention. And this four-year-old came back into the restaurant, uh, dining area, all smiles, sat down and looked around at those who had been watching his antics and said, Daddy adjusted me. <laughs> Children need adjusting. Next, love will provide comfort and warmth. That's the responsibility of parents. God is the God of all comfort. From Isaiah 66, 13, we understand that God is like a mother in this aspect of comforting. And from 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, we learn that God is like a father who uh, instructs and comforts and encourages. And so parents should be sympathetic and understanding. Uh, when someone in our family got hurt when they were young, uh, they often came and said, I got an ouchie. In fact, I was talking with one of my children on the phone this morning, and uh, she was telling me that a German Shepherd dog came out of a laneway uh, to the road where she and her brother were biking yesterday. And uh, I don't think the dog actually uh, bit her, but he appeared like he was about ready to, and she became somewhat disoriented on the, the bike and uh, collided with her brother's bike, and she went for a nasty spill. Ah, scrapes and some ouchies. I, I have trouble kissing ouchies over the phone. But at least I could try to communicate uh, my sympathy for her. They may not be too much of an ochi. Let me remind you of the story of the little boy who came to his father. His father was busy reading the newspapers, as fathers are wont to be. And the little boy says, Daddy, I got an ochi. Oh, Daddy, I got an ouchie here on my knee. Uh, and the father 
kept on grunting as the little boy kept on asking for attention from the father because he had this hurt. And finally the father put down his newspaper and said, Well, I can't do anything about it, can I? And the little boy said, You could have said, Oh. <laughs> Love provides comfort and sympathy. With little children, it involves cuddling. I suppose uh, touch, cuddling, and holding could be categorized under a necessity that love provides. In an orphanage study a number of years ago where there was a busy staff, meaning that children had only about 10% of the interaction with uh, an adult or other people, that would be normal, it was found that 30% of the babies died before one year was up because of type of emotional starvation. Some years ago, I came upon a, a statement from Infant Care published by the uh, U.S. Children's Bureau back in 1930. I guess that was the year of the Depression, wasn't it? Maybe this was related. I don't know. Anyway, this information from this government publication said, Never hug or kiss children. Your children. Never let them sit on your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when you say good night. Shake hands with them in the morning. And so it was fairly common. My children heard me uh, say this already. And so uh, when they would come downstairs, they'd stick out their hand and we'd shake hands. In the sixth place, carrying out the responsibility to love children, parents will provide forgiveness. I'd like to read from Psalm 103, where God is pictured as a father. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Psalm 103.13 For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Verse 14 and verse 12, I guess I wanted. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Parents should not delay to offer forgiveness, nor should they have this mindset that this child has got to pay. Sure, they ought to uh, face the consequences of disobedience and so on, but not in an unforgiving way. Don't hold it against the child. Don't label the child. You always drop things. He's such a little crybaby. Earthly parents are wise to apologize and to ask forgiveness, especially of older children who would understand that the parent has done wrong. I think I'm at number seven now, what love will provide. Love will build security. In the case of God, underneath are the everlasting arms. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. And so it is. Oh God, our help in ages past. There is security. Parents should try to provide security for their children. Sincerity on the part of the parents provides security. However, if the child doesn't know whether how the parent is going to respond to them or is uh, 
having pretense, it's hard to relate to people that are pretending uh, for any of us. So it is with children. Another thing that provides helps to provide security is boundaries, having rules, and then sticking with them. And being consistent, not altering what is expected. The absence of parents detracts from a feeling of security. Father's gone a lot, wife working. Also, uh, it's best, as far as security is concerned, emotional security is what I'm talking about here, if parents avoid moving a lot, what did you say, Brother John? Half of the children move within five year within a five year time. So that's that's hard, you know, adjusting to new community and school and so on. And another thing that, no matter where we're living with children, we can give generously, and that is praise and commendation, as opposed to continual criticism. Eight. Parents who have a responsibility, as we do, to love children, will provide time with them. This applies to school teachers as well. And if you've got 30 children, as I normally do in my classroom, uh, you can spend time with all of them in a corporate way, but it's a little hard to give individual attention. However, there are opportunities to do that, and so we shouldn't uh, uh, disappear into the uh, staff room uh, for our break, if we could be uh, relating or providing um, for a particular student and their emotional needs or whatever questions they might have. After all, God who loves us has time for us. He's always there to listen, to help. Jesus had time for children, and we should have time for children too. And so parents should listen. Play, explain, be involved, talk things over. Looking back, I hear and read many parents say, after their children are grown up or in their late teens, if only I had taken more time with my children. I have yet, maybe I'm just not in the right circles, but I have yet to hear a parent say, I took too much time with my children when they were young. An adaptation of a familiar poem. I love you, Johnny, said Mother one day. I love you more than I can say. Then she answered, answered his questions with, Don't bother me now, and just didn't have time to show him how to tie his truck to his tractor and plow. But she washed her windows and scrubbed the floor and baked and cooked and cleaned some more. Bring the neighbor in? Well, I should say not. You'll track up my floors and I don't want a spot. No, we don't have time for a story today. Mother's cooking for company. So run out and play, maybe tomorrow, she said with a sigh. And Johnny went out almost ready to cry. I love you, Johnny, again, she said as she washed his face and sent him to bed. Now, how do you think that Johnny guessed whether it was he or the house that she really loved best? For leaders, it may be teachers, it may be pastors, maybe those involved in church life, there is a danger, and I need to think about this myself, in relating to children and not having and not communicating 
that the father always has time for the children. Someone wrote, People always involved in broad issues generally neglect those closest to them. I have seen too many damaged children whose parents were leaders. Two more things. Parents, sensing their responsibility to love their children, will provide a sense of worth and personal value. God sent Jesus to buy you. That makes you of tremendous value. And we should communicate to our children that we're glad that each one is a part of our family. Hannah prayed for the child, and she thanked God, and she was all excited and enthused. Sometimes parents communicate, not verbally, but in other ways that a child is a bother, a hindrance, an interference with the fulfillment of life. So say, I'm glad you're part of the family and communicate it. Affirm that. Courtesy also can provide a sense of worth. Saying thank you, recognizing that the child is of equal value. Having a realistic trust in children, especially as they grow older. I think suspicious parents tend to produce sneaky children. We should pay attention to our children when they speak. We should not have favorites one above another. We should not make a child feel like a fool. All these things interfere with their proper sense of personal worth. I think it's good to let them handle money and make decisions. Uh, when our children were four, five, eight, in that age group, um, or even a little younger, we would sometimes go to uh, garage sales and rummage sales and bring home other people's junk. Um, as some people would refer to it, some of it was, uh, was pretty good stuff, especially uh, children's toys that you could, instead of paying $25, you can pay 50 cents for it and the children could uh, have a good time with it. Anyway, as they got to be uh, school age anyway, then um, wasn't a matter of hauling them around and trying to look after them while you sort through uh, what you might like to purchase in such places. But they would, uh, they would enjoy going along. They don't at this point at all. Uh, we've discontinued that particular operation. But at that point, they thought it was really thrilling. They could take their 10 cents or their dollar from grandma. It was usually not too much money that they took along, but sometimes um, a couple dollars anyway, some of them would take. That's, that's in U.S. money, in Canadian money. So it wasn't worth so much. But they would uh, look at the different things on the table, I remember, and they'd come scooting over and say, shall I buy this? And they were all excited. They had to decide. And we didn't, they could buy whatever they wanted. You know, and we could give them a little guidance. Do you think that thing is really worth five cents? You know. Um, so it, some people have animals. We don't have animals at our, at our place, at least not wanted ones. Um, but a pet and farm animals, that's just great, and, and handling money and responsibility. Helping around the home, whether there's animals or not, also helps to build a sense of personal worth because they're contributing. And uh, I don't think we should take advantage of children in terms of workload, but uh, it helps 
them to feel good about themselves when they know they're helping along. And if we can show each child that he or she is special to God. Lastly, love provides a spiritual atmosphere. I'm thinking here of the church. God provides the church for us because he loves us and cares for us. Love prepares, well, because parents love their children, they want to prepare them for eternity. By pointing them to Christ, by providing a spiritual fellowship, by cultivating appreciation for the Bible and for Christian ministers and for Sunday school and for Christian day school and for family worship. Ideally, there is a spiritual atmosphere in the home itself, a place of refuge, as we heard this morning. It's important that we try to make life or to have life as an integrated whole where God is the focus. There's not the religious side of our life and then there's the normal side, but it's all normal with Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Parents, you have a sacred trust as stewards of God's heritage. And teachers share in that responsibility. And so let's view children as a blessing. Let's point them to Jesus Christ who loves them and died for them as they come to the age of accountability. Let us love them as God loves us. May we teach them, assure them of our love, provide for their needs, comfort them, Discipline them, forgive them, provide security for them, give time to them, build a sense of worth, and provide a spiritual atmosphere for each one who are precious in God's sight.